It's the 1st of September, 2015, and this is episode 243. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're at the recent Keynote 2015 conference, courtesy of Mo Levin and Rob Mitchell of the Bitcoin Game. LTB is all about looking at this intriguing, multifaceted, enabling technology we call cryptocurrency from all perspectives. And today's we've got a pretty darn interesting one. Bitcoin and the blockchain is different things to different people. Well, today we hear from some of the founders of fintech startup Token, not to be confused with my company Tokenly, that aims to do Satoshi one better and get Bitcoin right for the banks. Let's listen in to their backgrounds, the how, and their why. Enjoy the show. I'd like to invite our next speakers are Yobi Benjamin, the former CTO of Citibank, Steve Hirsch, the CEO of Token, and Todd Harris, the CFO, is Tech Credit Union. They're going to be having a bit of a fireside chat, panel discussion about token, their histories, and what brings them here. Do we have any bankers in the room? I am surrounded by bankers right now. <laughs> um, so my name is Steve Kirsch. I'm the, the CEO of Token. And uh, just to give you, since probably nobody in this room knows who we are or what we do, uh, just by way of, because they've probably heard of, of Citibank. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Taxi is a credit, credit union, $2 billion in, in Silicon Valley. And uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, started a bunch of companies, invented some key internet technologies like the uh, optical mouse and uh, one of the early desktop publishing companies, Frame Technology. Uh, did one of the first internet search engines, InfoSeq, and, uh, and a bunch of other companies. So I've been around and uh, actually got started um, with the internet at the very early days of the internet. I uh, worked with Finsurf and other uh, people who actually created um, uh, the original internet protocol. So I've been around for quite some time. And more recently, um, I got involved because I hired a guy named Adam Back. And how many people know who Adam Back is? Okay, great. So Adam is the guy who came up with this, this scheme called Hashcash, which is a basis for the proof of work scheme in Bitcoin. So the people that are spending all of this uh, money to, uh, to mine the blockchain, uh, they're using uh, his protocols. And Adam told me about uh, Bitcoin uh, years ago. And he said, hey, you know, you should really check this out. And I ignored him up until the time I was at this uh, conference in Las Vegas called Money 2020 with a lot of bankers. And I went um, up to the microphone and I asked the audience how many people have, have Bitcoin. And I expected almost nobody in the audience to have Bitcoin because these are all bankers and bankers tend to be very conservative and, and we all know that bankers sort of have this aversion to, to Bitcoin. And to my surprise, about 25% of the people in the room raise their hands, and that was pretty shocking to me. So, uh, so I ended up uh, learning a lot about Bitcoin and, and investing. So. Hi, uh, my name is Yobi Benjamin. Uh, like Steve, I've been around. 
I was one of the first engineers uh, at Lotus Development Corporation, worked on Lotus 123, which we took public, got bought by IBM. Um, then I did Cambridge Technology Partners, which we took public also. And uh, after that, I became a senior partner at Ernst & Young. I was chief of global strategy for Ernst & Young Worldwide. And uh, my last gig was I was global chief technology officer of Citigroup Institutional Clients Group Global Transaction Services. Um, and now I'm the CTO of uh, Token. Um, this has been a very interesting uh, set of events for me, how I got here. I heard about Bitcoin like Steve many years ago, but and did have a Bitcoin account and was a fervent, fervent, you know, Bitcoin guy till I ended up in Citibank. Uh, when I was at Citibank, I operated in 148 countries and I moved um, on a daily average uh, three to nine trillion dollars a day. Unfortunately, so, you didn't get to keep any of it. No, we don't keep any of it. We, we work on a few basis points. Uh, globally, we move 1.25 quadrillion a year. Uh, so I have a different point of view of money and the movement of money. I move money for governments, People's Republic of China, Russia, you know, the entire EU, Procter & Gamble, uh, and I also did commercial cards, um, commercial credit cards. So I have a very different view of money. And when I first met Steve, I said, I realized how expensive it is to move money. And that's partially the reason why Steve and I had a Vulcan mind meld and said, you know, we can tackle this. Anyway, I'll let uh, Todd get into here. Well, I'm, a, I'm Todd Harris. I've been a, a C-level executive at kind of smaller regional institutions, banks, credit unions, finance companies uh, for the last uh, 12 years. And I guess I'm really participating here because uh, being in that position, I see a real need for improvement in you know, the payment system. And uh, we've partnered up with these guys a little bit, helping them do certain proof of concept ideas. And uh, there's a huge need out there for improvement not just for fraud, but for efficiency and things like that, so. So, uh, I didn't tell you what Token does, so I, with, with that background. So, what I discovered, I was, I started to try to uh, form a Bitcoin company because I had the bug and I was, I, my Bitcoin was going up by three times every three weeks and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, and then I put a million dollars in and of course, that was at a thousand dollars and now I'm like, you know, waiting for it to recover. Um, but. Uh, I, I, I tried to, to start a company to do Bitcoin. And uh, what I discovered was that I couldn't find a bank who would open up an account for me. <laughs> uh, and that's just to pay my employees. So I have a 30-year relationship with Silicon Valley Bank. And Silicon Valley Bank is the banker behind Coinbase. And I went to Silicon Valley Bank and I said, hey, I'm doing this Bitcoin company, I'd like to open an account. And they said, go away. I've been, a, I've been a customer of that bank for 30 years and they told me to go away because I told them I was doing a Bitcoin company. So I thought, hmm, maybe they're trying to tell me something. And I also talked to a lot of people who said, oh, well, you know, if you're a Bitcoin company, you also have to get a money transmitter license uh, because you're, you know, if you want to be legal. And so I looked into that, and that was about maybe three to five years of time, depending on um, how things go. 
and it was maybe two or three million dollars. And uh, that sounded doable, but then I discovered something very interesting, which most people never hear about, is that if once you get the money transmitter license, so you can do this legal Bitcoin stuff, and then you try to go to a bank, uh, because now you're totally licensed and legal, right? What happens is once you get the money transmitter license and you go through hoops and you get fingerprinted 34 times, is that the banks tell you they will not do business with you because you're too risky. And so I said, man, this is not working out for me. I don't know how the other guys are doing it, but this is not working out for me. So what I decided to do was to say, hey, can't beat them, join them. And so what I did is I took the concepts um, from Bitcoin and other crypto technologies that I worked with um, with Adam, and I created this company token to create a, an alternative for banks to license that was designed for the banking system, designed for banks by bankers and technologists that could work and provide the same functionality that Bitcoin provides but provide it within the context of a bank so that it's legal and KYC'd and all the parties are known and, and so forth. And would actually go way beyond what is possible in Bitcoin because you're dealing with trusted entities. And so there's some shortcuts that you can do that you can't do um, in the blockchain. And what I discovered is that, that I could create a system where uh, using our system it's very easy to create a token that could emulate any kind of existing payment rail, whether it be a check, a prepaid debit card, a cashier's check, a foreign currency, um, a, a gift card, whatever. I could, uh, ATM machine, that I could actually very quickly program that up and create these new paradigms for payments that were never before possible. And I said, wow, this is actually way better than uh, than the Bitcoin than Bitcoin and the blockchain ever will be, and so that's how I got, that's how I got into this. So my my thing is when I was at City, one of my number one of the things I did is I met with very very senior not even senior the people in charge of monetary systems. So I would meet with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. I would meet with the People's Bank of China, which is the central bank. I would meet with the Russian Finance Ministry. Um, the, you know, the Office of the Controller of Currency here, the, the Federal Reserve of New York, Federal Reserve of Kansas, Federal Reserve of San Francisco, and so on and so forth. And what I discovered, because I was really, in, I was also chairman of Citibank's Global uh, City Innovation Labs and Research and Development Organization, I really wanted to investigate blockchain. Well. I walked into the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and the first thing they looked at me and they said, no way, you are not even going to begin a discussion. So that was Hong Kong, which is a bastion of capitalism. Went to Singapore. Sing Singaporeans said, hell no. Went to the Chinese, People's Bank of China, they said, no way. So now we have major money centers in the world. Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Moscow, London with the EU, Bank of England, all looking at me and saying, no way. So at the level of global monetary system, 
The simple answer that I got through the three years that I worked at City is there is no way this is ever going to be implemented on a global monetary system. So I began to look, again, like Steve, by happenstance, we looked at it from different points of view. So that's why we ended up with token. Yeah, and ironically, the way that we met is that Yobi was contacted by uh, one of the biggest banks in the US and they wanted him to find a speaker who could talk about Bitcoin. And Yobi called up uh, the head of the Future of Money Conference and said, hey, who would be good? And they gave me, uh, and, and my name was given to Yobi, and, and I, so I gave the talk. Um, and so we actually met uh, through a Bitcoin connection, even though we had both realized, well, I guess at the time I was still, yeah. I, I hadn't We're realized. still a Bitcoin fanatic, right? Yeah. Well, you've heard the, uh, the money center perspective and the technology perspective. And with a lot of my experience in the retail space, you know, from the average Joe perspective, when you look at payments, you're thinking of credit cards and debit cards primarily. And one thing that gives them the most pain really is, you know, this identity theft, these, you know, breaches, these card replacements, these inconveniences. And so from a third perspective even, not even technology or money center, you come back to how can we make the current rails more secure and faster? Yeah, I mean, ACH, five days, whoop-de-doo. Yeah. You know, so all of, it, it's interesting because when you look at all of our current payment rails, the traditional rails that people use, the, the credit cards um, or the payment cards in general, ACH, uh, and checks, uh, it turns out that all of them were invented before the invention of the Internet. And they haven't changed much uh, you know, so like the ACH system, which they're trying to modernize, uh, they haven't really changed that, that ACH system that, you know, moves uh, the bulk of the money, you know, a huge amount of money. 110 years. It's this fundamentally the same system for 110 years. Credit cards invented 1959, 56 years ago. And that credit card rail is still, at its very core, fundamentally the same. So, so we kind of thought that it was time to upgrade the system and, and in fact we're actually getting a lot of uh, great traction when we talk to banks about, hey, we can apply uh, cryptography and we can apply modern ideas um, to how we move money so we can do it um, securely and fast uh, and way faster uh, than Bitcoin actually. Uh, you know, so when, when we move money in our system securely with crypto protocols, we can move it in about a millisecond uh, between banks. And it's verified, it's there, uh, it's spendable. And every site that I go on to try to move money with Bitcoin, I have to wait an hour for that money to move. So, you know, sometimes we, you know, I, I, I listened to the speeches earlier and everybody's talking about, oh, you know, the solution is the blockchain. And I, I scratch my head wondering, well, why can't I publish the, this information on the World Wide Web? And I could even digitally sign it to prove that it's never been tampered with. And, you know, why do I need to use the blockchain? Because the blockchain, you know, there are all of these servers that have to go and ha keep a copy of whatever I post. That seems awfully inefficient. You know, and plus they're doing this, this hashing algorithm that uses an awful lot of energy and is, and is a, you know, extremely inefficient way to, to, uh, to provide distributed consensus. And there are actually much better algorithms for distributed consensus, uh, like the, the one uh, uh, used by uh, the Ripple spinoff. Um, uh, 
Stellar, Stellar. thank you. Yeah, the, the, the Stellar Consensus Protocol, SCP. And so they're better, uh, uh, they're actually better algorithms that use far less energy uh, to achieve a distributed consensus. So when we talk about the blockchain, you know, maybe we should be talking more about distributed consensus in general. Um, and maybe the blockchain, you know, is if, if all you know is the blockchain, then it seems like the answer to every problem. But, I, but there are a lot of problems that, you know, we talk about here uh, that don't really need the blockchain. Scale is a really big issue. I mean, when I mean scale, the, move, the global movement of money, every, everything from moving one penny to a few billion or even half a trillion dollars, which, you know, that's a lot of money movement globally. And I just don't see, I, I can't imagine how you would do the movement of money at the scale of billions and billions of transactions per second. I just don't see it happening. I mean, and again, perhaps I'm tainted by, by having been a city banker in a very large institution. I mean, we run our own private network in Citibank, you know. That's why we're a correspondent bank to many, 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 many banks. Because we operate our own network. And our network can literally move money in, a sec in like milliseconds today. So th thousands, probably thousands of transactions per second. Oh, absolutely. But the, uh, I think the, the last time I checked, and this is a while ago because I haven't kept my, up my Bitcoin knowledge, but last time I checked that the blockchain was limited to seven transactions per second because of the block size. Has that changed at all? Does anybody know that? It's still seven transactions per second? That would never work. Well, they're working on it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So, you know, because the last I checked, it was, you know, a couple of years. It was probably a year or so ago. It was seven transactions, so still seven. We make millions of transactions per second. I mean, if you have ever seen a global monetary system work, you need millions of transactions per second. No question. Their proposals in this lightning network, I mean, it's all they're trying to build the DPS rate in, in their own time scale. Yeah, yeah. One of the, you know, one of the and the, the the other frustration I had with with Bitcoin is that. Uh, when Adam told me to uh, to get into Bitcoin, I said, "Okay, fine. Who, who's the company I call that's uh, you know that's building this?" And he said, "Well, there isn't one." And I said, "Then you know, I'm not sure even how I get started." And so one of the problem, you know, one of the, one of the beauties that, that Bitcoin has is that it's you know everybody's it's sort of distributed and distributed consensus in terms of uh, what is put in. And sometimes that can be an advantage, and other times it can be a disadvantage. So. You know, things like smart contracts and all that don't, don't get into Bitcoin because they're uh, deemed as risky and, um, and so forth. So, so, so you can't move necessarily as fast as, as you might want to. And um, you have to achieve consensus in order to, to do stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, look at our Congress. Even at the, our Congress is a great example of, wow, if you have 400 people or so, once you get of, of any size, it's, it's very, very difficult uh, to achieve consensus and you, you just get gridlock. And so, you know, that's another, you know, kind of another problem with, for all of its benefits, there are also, um, you know, some, some things to consider. So, uh, the other thing that's important to think about when you look at these uh, cryptocurrencies and the movement of money in general, is really the politics behind it. it this is not a technology problem, period. So when I, was in, when I was in China, when I spoke to a very senior finance minister, 
I asked why they wouldn't even consider it. And then his answer to me is, have you ever heard of the Uyghurs? And I go, Uyghurs, what's a Uyghur? Well, it's this Muslim minority up north. They don't want them to move money anonymously, period. End of story. They have Falun Gong. Don't want them to move money anonymously, period. They don't want money coming in anonymously. You try Singapore. Singapore, the bastion of capitalism. Guess what? Also one of the world's most tightly controlled governments. They don't want this. Here in the United States, you know, and we were just talking, Todd brought this up. Heaven forbid, with, I mean, and I truly mean this, heaven forbid that one of these new ISIS recruits that are a lone wolf is found with a Bitcoin account. I can tell you that that will annihilate any support, public support, for any, in Congress, in any regulatory agency, for anything Bitcoin related. It is an extremely political uh, issue. Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by GetKeepKey.com, an easy, secure Bitcoin hardware wallet available a little bit later this year. One of the most interesting things to me about hardware wallets is that in the not too distant future, you'll be able to log into many, many sites and services just by proving that you own a Bitcoin address. In addition to authorizing your Bitcoin spending, the private keys that control your wallet can also be used to sign messages. Signing a message is the equivalent of entering your password. Both demonstrate that you're the person who has access because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do what you just did. Passwords can of course be guessed and wallets can of course be hacked, but if you've got yours in a keep key, you're not vulnerable to any of that. For more information about the keep key or to sign up to be the first to know when it's available, visit getkeepkey.com. And the magic word for today's episode is login. That's L-O-G-I-N, login. You've got until the 8th of September to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. Let's rejoin the conversation now. I hope we're not coming across as Bitcoin bashers because I think the technology is really cool and it was, it was um, I think, a very innovative and very clever uh, solution uh, to the problem of creating a uh, distributed consensus and uh, creating a currency that wasn't controlled by anyone. Um, and on the positive side, you know, there are, there are some interesting things that are going on. Uh, so Ripple, for example, when I, I've talked to banks and they ask me about Ripple, and there are a number of banks that are looking at using Ripple not as a front end for consumer, uh, not consumer facing, but as just as a rail to replace SWIFT. Um, so as uh, to, to move money between banks, uh, so it's just bank to bank, so from trusted entities that are clearly KYC'd, and then it's not seen as much of an, uh, of an issue. And so it's, uh, that technology is, has had some uh, very passionate uh, people taking a look at it and, and doing evaluations. I'm, I'm a fan of Bitcoin, don't get me wrong. I mean, if people think I'm bashing Bitcoin, not at all. My issue is I can't use it for banking, you know, and I've seen it not, you cannot use it 
on a global banking scale. It's just not possible right now politically. Now, if individuals want to use Bitcoin, use its anonymity, and they can figure out some bank who would do it on behalf of, of individuals, I'm all for it. I think Bitcoin can do that. And, you know, Bitcoin should continue to do that. But from a commercial point of view, from a global banking point of view, I just couldn't see it. But, you know, if I still have a Bitcoin account. Love, love for you guys to send me some of your Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, one, one of the, the reasons um, for the, the problems with the regulators is that when Bitcoin was conceived, it was conceived by someone who, who had no banking experience at all. And his objective was to create this currency that could go and just do an end run uh, around uh, the fiat currency systems. And so compliance with um, laws and regulations was not really top of mind, I think, when it was created. And even today, when people are adding uh, features uh, to Bitcoin, that I think compliance is also not top of mind for the people doing it because they just, uh, you know, the, the thing is they don't have the banking background. And so to get the, the BSA um, you know, alphabet soup of uh, uh, BSA, AML, OFAC, SARS, CTRs, all that stuff, uh, that's knowledge that uh, the, the people who um, are developing the protocols just never get exposed to, because uh, it's almost like they're, they're two different uh, communities. Well, I think that's Bitcoin's strength and also its weakness from a scalability standpoint. Um, and you know, Apple might not be the best company for this room to talk about, but if you look what they did with Apple Pay, they allowed the traditional financial institutions to participate and you just have this massive adoption by the institutions supporting that. You look like Samsung, you know, Android, they're gonna do the same thing with their payment systems. So when you look at that whole scalability aspect, um, you know, allowing, I know disintermediation is, is a great way to try to make some money, but you gotta scale that. And by cutting out the traditional players, I think that scalability becomes a bit of a challenge. Yeah, that's, a, the alphabet soup. that's a really good point of view, right? And Bitcoin, you know, Two individuals can independently go and say, okay, we're going to move money around. You know, I don't, need no, I don't need banks, I don't need intermediaries, I don't need this, I don't need that, which is great, right? I think it's wonderful. But the fact is, that's, what, that's also, I think, the reason why institutions would say, so why would we support something that totally disintermediates us from the capitalist system that, that works with this? You don't need a city bank. You don't need a tech credit union. You don't need, you know, any bank. You don't need a central government. So if you don't and say you are not party to this, you, uh, human nature, I think, makes it so that they're not going to be your fans or allies. They're going to be adversaries. Maybe we should take questions, you know? Any questions? Yeah. You see, you, you've been through the Web 1.0, uh, and at the time, the internet was certainly not uh, a well-understood territory. It had regulatory issues. All of the kind of the foundational issues we're seeing today in Bitcoin were present then in a different way. Uh, what makes you think that there's such certainty around how this is going to go? Uh, I don't think we knew how things were going to go then. How do we think we're going to see things uh, happen differently here in Bitcoin? 
Boy, um, good, good question. Do I, uh, should I repeat the question? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so the question was that in the early days of the internet, you know, there were, there were things that um, may have been quite a bit different than the way uh, people were used to, and we got through it there, and, you know, is Bitcoin just going through some uh, growing pains, and, and we'll, we'll resolve the issues. Um, I, I, and I think the answer is that I think it's really, really hard for Bitcoin because of the fundamental design um, of Bitcoin. So, for example, we heard earlier people were touting that, hey, in Bitcoin it's really cool because you can move money. All you need is somebody's, uh, somebody tells you what their public key is. And you can go and do a transaction on the blockchain and move money to their public key. And I was thinking about that. And, and you know, that's pretty cool because you can do that, you can prepare that transaction totally offline, you can give it to the person, that person can post it uh, uh, to the blockchain. And bam, the, the money is moved and it's now in your account, uh, totally anonymously, without the aid of a bank and all that. And I thought, well, you know, my, our technology, a token, uh, could do the same thing. But the problem is that if I did that, and, and if the money, in fact, was, was housed at a bank in the U.S., and I were to try to move money that way anonymously, that Todd would shut me down in about a heartbeat, in maybe less than a heartbeat. Because that sort of thing isn't allowed. You have to know who the other party is. You can't move money without, in, in, in today's world, you cannot move money without knowing, you can't even move 10 cents without knowing who the other party is. And so, um, it, 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 that's a sort of a fundamental built-in thing to, to Bitcoin that's going to be really, really hard to change. Let me, let me try to add a perspective there. That's, I, I, I think that's one of the best questions I've heard. Uh, the Internet, and I was there too during the early days of the Internet, and I can tell you one thing that's fundamentally different between the Internet. The Internet was meant to be open, totally open. You know, it's like you're, you know, it is, it's extremely resilient. It's extremely scalable. These are, these are core attributes of what we know of the internet then and still the internet of today. In fact, it's gotten more resilient with IPv6, far more resilient, far better. Bitcoin has a sense of exclusivity. It's closed, really. I mean, you think, no, it's not, it's open source. But it's the transaction between two people to the exclusion of a system around these people. And I, I, I think that that's, that's a problem. Any other How can you call something closed if two people can have a transaction between each other and they don't have to go through the existing system? How yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with you. I disagree with him. So I'm, I'm going to be right. interested to I see how it, he responds. I call it closed because I, I call it closed because the the current system requires the participation of an entire ecosystem. And now what you're saying is this ecosystem that exists, which is the global banking system, we don't want it. Well, you can, but you can't. You you don't. But that's not your fundament. That's not the fundamental architecture. It's like I want to have a private transaction between myself and Steve. Period. Doesn't have to be public. You know, the thing I like about Bitcoin is, is it's accessible. 
right? If you look at every single payment rail we have in the United States, it's not accessible. It's, it's closed. If you try to get on the ACH system and you want to do credit pushes, which are really low risk, that's a pretty easy thing for a bank to do, and maybe it takes a week or two weeks to get you approved to do that. But you have to get permission. You have to, somebody has to go and look at your application, and you fill out some application to do ACH, and they may or may not give you access. Um, Fingerprinted also several times. Well, it, it, <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to do. But if you're trying to pull money out of someone's account on ACH, that's a much bigger deal. And you will tend to be turned down at every, like I went to a, a big bank based in LA, I won't mention who they are. And, uh, the, and I described what we were doing with token and all that. And they said, okay, great, great. Why don't you open up a, a bank account first at our bank and, uh, and then we'll move forward with you because we, we like the, the technology that you're doing. And so they asked us all kinds of questions about, hey, what's, what's your AML policy and da 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 da. Uh, because we said we wanted to do something really simple, that we were going to do billing for big companies like PG&E who are just billing their, a utility company billing its customers. And that we would pull money from, from the utility, from the customers and pay it to a very well-established utility company. And so I tried to get approval from, that, from this big bank to do that. And they reviewed my application for three months and um, it, and it was question after question. You know, they uh, every time you answered, yeah, a week later that. they would come back with more questions. And after three months, they said, uh, "We'll open up account for you, but you cannot. We will not give you any access at all to the ACH system." So to me, that's a that's a very closed system. And Bitcoin is something that it's very egalitarian. Anyone can access it. So in my opinion, and I guess it depends on your point of view. I look at Bitcoin as a very open system. Question. Yeah. Hey, hey Steve, it's uh, Justin from NetKey. You know, I, I actually see you know some pretty strong parallels uh, again between the early internet and this because if, if you remember when we were building the early internet infrastructure, the phone companies hated us. They didn't want to give us access to local loop lines. They didn't want to give us phone lines for our modem banks. We would get turned down when we tried to get access to dry DSL loops. Everything that we wanted to do to try and build the, the internet networks in the early days, the phone companies were against. And they wouldn't connect their closed networks to our open ones. But what happened was there was a societal change that forced them to be open to the point that they now lost on net neutrality, right? Because society said we're now an open society, not a closed society with respect to communication networks. And so I, I guess. If you try and look at it with that framing and perspective, what differences do you see in the existing banking and Bitcoin relationships to those early telecom and internet relationships? Yeah, so, uh, hey Justin, so it, it's, uh, the difference I see is one of legality and compliance uh, with laws and regulations because the, what, what was happening in the internet, it was competitive technology, but nothing that was being done, as far as I know, was against the law. And the problem with Bitcoin is that it was structured by someone who really didn't have a compliance at top of mind when he designed the system. And he designed a system which makes compliance virtually impossible. And so that's why it's not that banks don't like Bitcoin and don't want to touch it, but a bank can't touch Bitcoin because of, of compliance reasons. And so, you know, that's, you know, so Todd is a, you know, you can probably. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um 
Traditional financial institutions would love to participate in this space and partner. Even if they're being cut out, there's still a relationship there that can be had that they can profit from. But like, like you said, it's the regulation. Until the feds want to back off on the regulation, um, there's going to be a certain amount of, of limited options that institutions have to, to support this type of change. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that um, it's not so easy to understand how Bitcoin works. And, uh, you know, it's not something that you can say, oh, it's really simple. And um, to be fair, very few people understand how the ACH system works or how payment cards work. But we're all familiar with it and it all seems to work. And so um, that's not a problem. But for some reason, you need to be familiar with how Bitcoin works if you're a regulator to approve it. And one of the things I hear from bankers all the time is that bankers, that regulators hate anything they don't understand. And if you try to put anything that, that regulators don't understand, you're just going to run into, you're just creating problems for yourself. And on the flip side, uh, you know, regulators do really want to do the right thing. And, and you know, most of them are really good people and are great public servants and do a great job. Um, but there is clearly, for all the bankers that, that I've talked to, uh, there, is, there was a fear of, um, you know, that we'd never get this, this past the regulators. Because maybe you might get it past one regulator, but you have, how many different regulators do you have at, uh, at your bank? Four. Yeah, four, 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 four different four uh, regulators. I, you know, everything that in a large bank like City, every, we're essentially regulated probably, first of all, 50 states, uh, basically, and the Federal Reserve, Office of the Controller of Currency, Department of the Treasury, and there's a million other regulators, and then you multiply that by 148 countries. And any one of those countries can have an effect on how you move money globally, particularly the large ones like the EU, not a country, but a group of countries, the EU, China, Singapore, Hong Kong, Russia, you know, they all have the ability to affect the way you move money. So we got time for one last question. Uh, it's in the back. I hear that it doesn't work for them. And them can be either regulators or them can be big banks. But just as a way of introduction, my name is Scott. I'm with a company called AlphaPoints and power exchanges around the world. My current clients and my prospective clients are talking to the highest levels of governments around the globe, and they are eager and actively looking to embrace Bitcoin because they know it will help their people. So when we talk about it's not good for them, I always want to know exactly who them is. So <laughs> is, it, is it the status quo if it's the people that are going to get disruptive, disrupted and intermediated? Of course, they're not going to support it, but there's more than one system on this planet, and there's a whole group of people out there that the system isn't working for, and there's actually people fighting for those people, and it's right for them. So maybe your target audience, it may not be right for that might be fine. Maybe your solution is right for that target audience. But to kind of throw a blanket on it and say that it has all these drawbacks and it's never going to work because regulators aren't going to take it, they're not going to take it, I just don't think it's an honest discussion. No, I, I, Fair enough. I agree with you.
No, we, we were talking about it in the United States and, and, and some other countries, but, but clearly, no, absolutely. Bitcoin is a, is a huge advantage to people, you know, like let's say you're in Greece, right, and you've got a current, you don't know what's going to happen uh, if they, they go to their own currency, you know, Bitcoin could be a... Bitcoin uh, could, be, could do well for Greece, you know. I, I, I think the Greeks should go and do Bitcoin because I don't see them going to the drachma, you know, but I don't see China doing it which is 16% of the global economy. Yeah, the U.S. So, is 24. So uh, China, for example, um, and, and I don't deny that there are um, uh, great places and great fits for, for Bitcoin, but I know that China, um, the, the, the true story, or, or uh, I'll, I'll tell you that I was told that the true story as to why the Chinese government doesn't, was, was putting a lid on uh, Bitcoin companies in, in China. And it wasn't because of fear of the currency. It, well, I mean, it was, it was for fear that if, if Bitcoin got a, uh, a hold in China, that because Bitcoin is so volatile, that it could wipe out a lot of wealth and create all sorts of havoc uh, in China. And so that's the reason that I heard, and I don't know, you know what the truth is, but that, that was a reason that I heard that the Chinese government was was a very go slow was was directing companies in China to have a very go slow approach to Bitcoin because of the volatility of Bitcoin, and you know maybe that will change, but that you know so that's uh, different countries, uh, different problems, different issues, uh, different opinions of the government. But you know in general I agree with you. This is not a one size fits all. No, it's not. And you know I think you're right. You know it's like there's some countries who want to experiment with it. Fine. I mean there's a whole bunch of countries that don't deserve to run their own currencies. You know I hate to say that, but you know you know they'd probably do better with Bitcoin. You know, uh, but. I just can't see. I, I just can't see it when I look at the largest money centers in the world not supporting it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. This episode was sponsored by GetKeepKey.com. Content for this episode was provided by Keynote 2015. This episode was very lightly edited by Adam B. Levine and featured music from Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.